This podcast is brought to you by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. Now, normally I am joined by my regular co-host and friend, Carl Truman. But as you know, Carl has written a book uh, that, uh, I mean, Carl always writes good books. This latest book, uh, though, has made quite a splash. It's being considered quite important by a number of people. And as a result, he is kind of globetrotting all over the place uh, with many significant invitations to come and teach and speak and be interviewed and that kind of thing, because he has written an important book. Now, this is my promise to you, loyal Mortification of Spin listeners. I will never do that. I will never write a book or, or really anything so important that anyone would want to talk to me. So I'll always be here for you. I want you to know that I will never leave you or forsake you, but we'll look forward uh, uh, to having Carl back once people get tired of, of, of listening to him. So we are wading into an important issue uh, today. It is an issue that is, uh, I guess you could say it's especially pressing in uh, the denomination to which I belong, the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. But um, certainly, there are other denominations that, uh, uh, that I think will find this issue and related issues to be quite relevant. Certainly, what we are dealing with in the PCA in terms of controversial issues are not issues that we alone are dealing with. We see uh, overlap in denominations as large as the Southern Baptist Convention and other places. And um, of particular interest uh, to our discussion today, we're going to be talking about uh, overtures 23 and 37. Now, we'll, we'll read those for you in just a moment. Uh, we've talked about them some in a past episode. But we're talking about them again today because we're entering into a time where some presbyteries have already voted and other PCA presbyteries will be voting um, in a few months as to whether or not the Book of Church Order for the Presbyterian Church in America is going to be changed to meet a current challenge. And of course, the challenge I'm talking about uh, is the challenge uh, regarding uh, so-called side B homosexuality, um, the, the theology that has entered into the PCA through especially Revoice. And I'm sure the vast majority of our listeners know what I'm speaking of. At this past year's General Assembly, uh, the assembly, uh, record attendance, by the way, uh, passed overwhelmingly uh, two overtures, the infamous Overture 23 and the infamous o Overture 37, which would uh, uh, basically, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, just kind of make our excellent ad interim committee on human sexuality, um, give it some um, some pull, actually, some, some constitutional weight um, in our book of church order, specifically as to how we 
interview and and put men through the ordination process and and how we hold our own pastors uh, and elders um, accountable uh, to particularly high standards. Now, my special guest today is Fred Greco. Fred is a pastor of um, PCA Church in Katy, Texas, uh, in, in the Houston area, my hometown. Um, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Now, you're going to be able to, to tell from, uh, from Fred's speech that he's probably not a native of Texas, but because Texans are so big hearted, they have welcomed Fred into the fold, and he is now an official Houstonian, I am sure. Fred, thanks for being on. Thank you, Todd. I'm glad to be here. And yes, um, I'm originally from from Buffalo, New York, and um, we're um, your co-host here with you. I would tell him gladly that my wife is a proud alum, 1992 graduate of Grove City College. Oh, very good. So we are from the northern area, but we moved down into Texas and to Houston about 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. all of my kids really consider themselves a Texans. They have left behind their roots in New York and Ohio, and they are fully embracing uh, Texas. Now, now, are you okay with that? I mean, you know, you being a New Yorker, and I mean, when you're from Buffalo, New York, that's, I mean, that's pretty New York. I mean, that's up, like, you've got to be committed to live in Buffalo, New York. You've got to, you've got to be committed through, through, you know, thick and thin if, if you're from Buffalo, New York. So are you okay with having Texans as children? I am. I am. I'm one of the few Texans that doesn't complain about the heat because you don't have to <laughs> shovel heat. I tell people. Right. And as uh, a couple of Sundays ago, my good friend Ligon Duncan was down preaching for us, and I met him in the parking lot. And I said, Ligon, can you just smell the freedom here? Can you just breathe and smell the freedom. <laughs> That's so, right. So we love That's the right. great state of Texas. Yes. Well, good. Well, I do too. And I, I don't miss the weather in Houston, but I do miss uh, so many good friends and, and family that are there. And I'm glad that. Uh, uh, that you are there pastoring a church in uh, in Katy. If you live anywhere near Katy, um, go to Christchurch, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Christchurch, PCA Church in, in Katy, and they have a wonderful ministry there. Now, Fred, for those who don't know, I mean, if you go to General Assembly every year, you know, Fred is kind of the one of our few uh, book of church order gurus. Like he's he's a lawyer by training. The man knows it inside and out. And so Fred's one of those guys when he gets up to gets up to speak, everybody listens. They take him seriously. Even those who who, who are convinced he's Darth Vader, um, you know, will 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 uh, will listen to Fred. Um, Fred's a member of our Standing Judicial Commission, um, which is a very important uh, court um, in our church. And I've asked Fred to talk about the importance of overtures 23 and 37, and specifically why it is a good idea, why it is wise and proper for the Presbyterian Church in America to adopt those uh, two overtures. Now, if you're not aware of our polity, again, those, those overtures were voted overwhelmingly um, at General Assembly, but in order for them to be uh, to actually affect change and to be added um, to our book of church order, they have to be approved by two thirds of our presbyteries and then by a simple majority vote at, uh, at general assembly next year. Fred, I wonder if the first thing you would do is let's tackle overture 23 first. If, if you'd be so kind as to read that. And then I want to kind of um, come at you from the standpoint of, of some of the, some of our brothers who object to it, and I think what we might do is think through 23 and 37 uh, simultaneously because the, the same objections tend to be raised about both of them. But, but, but read um, Overture 23 first and kind of give a little bit of the context for it. 
Sure. So if I could, first, just to give you an idea, I was privileged to serve on our overtures committee, Yes, which is the committee that these uh, resolutions come to and recommendations are then made to the full General Assembly. Right. And the Overtures Committee is kind of a mini General Assembly. It's right. between 100 and 130 men, two from each presbytery. And hours and hours and hours are spent amending, drafting, changing, moving, et cetera. And that's especially relevant because when Overture 23 came to us, it actually came to a different chapter in our book. It came under the doctrine of ordination. Mm-hmm. And uh, the original overture uh, was passed to apply to Chapter 17, and it was passed by a pretty significant margin, yeah. 88 to 38 to 2. So yeah. not a close vote. But what happened was uh, after that vote, there were a group of us that I was, again, privileged to be a part of, six or eight of us, that wanted to try to come together and modify the language to come up with an even more unifying set of language move it to to chapter 16, which is the doctrine of vocation or church orders, which talks about God's calling on men. And so we came up with some new language that actually passed even more unanimously, 106 to 12. Yeah. And I know that several of those 12 votes that were negative votes were votes of men who wanted the original language. Right, right. They weren't objecting to this language. Mm-hmm. So now this would propose a new chapter 16, paragraph four, that would go as follows. Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. Those who profess an identity such as, but not limited to, gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, homosexual Christian, or like terms, that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires, such as, but not limited to, same-sex attraction or by denying the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions are not qualified for ordained office. So that's the text of what was approved. It was approved in the Overtures Committee overwhelmingly. And then when it came to the floor of General Assembly, it was approved with 77% passing, 104 excuse me, 1,438 to 417. And yeah. now, Todd, I've been going to general assemblies. Uh, I think I've been to 19 now over the past 22 or 23 years. And I can't ever remember a controverted vote that was that lopsided. Right. So the margins were not that lopsided, for example, when we adopted system subscription or good faith subscription. Yeah. It weren't that um, uh, adopted in that way with many uh, issues. Yeah. The only issues that are adopted more lopsided than that are where there's really no objection. Like right. when the odd interim committee report came up, there was really only one man who spoke against it. Yeah. And I think there were a handful, four or five negative votes. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I mean, for those of us that, that were at general assembly this year, uh, I think I can speak for people on, on both sides of the issue to say that almost everybody was surprised by how lopsided this vote was. Again, a lot of us were happy about how overwhelming the vote was, and then there were some who were who were not happy about it. Um, now, uh, Overture Twenty Three then speaks to uh, standards for those that are serving um, in office, particularly you know elders. That there's this particular standard of character that speaks to um, not only you know what what we do, but how we think about ourselves and what we say about ourselves. Now. 
with with 37 overture 37 of course is related um but 37 addresses how how presbyteries and sessions need to evaluate um those candidates that come to them is that the is that a good way to describe it it's correct 23 is the standard that applies for a man to either be in sacred office or be called to sacred office right so it's present and future and it applies to every office yeah. teacher teaching elders pastors ruling elders and deacons mm-hmm. uh, overture 37 just deals with the examination process yeah. that a court for teaching elders that would be a presbytery mm-hmm. or for deacons and ruling elders that would be a session it's a reminder to them about how they are to conduct their exams. And it's not a new provision. Uh, there already are provisions for doing that. And I would actually point out that it isn't even new in subject matter because courts are called to make character judgments. Right. What it does is it gives uh, instructions and examples about how to do that. So here's an analogy. So the examination process says that we are to examine men in their theology. And on all offices. And then later on in that same chapter, there is some examples of that, parameters for that. What that means is you're to test them in their knowledge of the Westminster standards. So it gives concrete examples. There's a current examination for a man in character and Overture 37 now makes it clear what at least at a minimum that character exam should consist of. So it's really not a new provision. It's nothing radical. It really is just, I mean, I'm actually shocked, Todd, that Overture 23 passed with a higher percentage than 37. Yeah. You may know that I send out to hundreds of uh, elders my assessment of the upcoming issues in the General Assembly, and yeah. I send it to anyone who asks me about it, no matter which part of the PCA they're a part of, whether they are a part of a certain uh, organization or not, I'm above board. Yeah. And I actually thought that 37 would pass and that 20, 23 would not. And I was looking at 37 as getting half a loaf. Yeah. Um, 37 seems so un- uncontroversial to me. I mean, and, and Fred, this way, and see, I had the exact same assessment is going into it. And what was interesting is, is the, we, we took our full um, uh, group of, of commissioners this year to General Assembly and the ruling elders that we took. It was really fascinating in the week's running up uh, to, to general assemblies, I had sent them the language of those overtures. And as in our meetings, you know, I made them aware that 23 and 37, were going to really be contested. Um, they were shocked because they looked at the language of 23 and 37 and just saw clear biblical common sense. And they were shocked that those things would be contested. In fact, I'm, in just a moment, I want, I want, I want you to read uh, 37, but I, before Fred reads 37, I will say this, that during uh, General Assembly, one of one of our denominations, pastors, t- teaching elders who who serves as pastor of, of, of a large PCA church tweeted out. So he made this statement publicly, uh, but he tweeted out that that Overture 37, quote, is the beast that we must destroy. OK, so, I mean, when, when a pastor of one of our larger churches says this is a beast that we must destroy, you're thinking, wow, this thing must be pretty radical stuff. Now, I want our listeners to, to kind of hear that in the background, Fred, as you read the language of 37. Again, being reminded that this is what we're saying, and if, and if all goes well, we can make as a part of our book of church order. This is part of how uh, presbyteries and sessions will examine the character 
of those men that come to serve or, or are nominated uh, for for office. So this is the beast that must be destroyed. Um, Fred Reed, please uh, overture so, thirty-seven. So in context here, it would be an amendment to twenty BCO twenty-four twenty-one four, and then a. I'm not going to read both of them. There's an identical provision for twenty-four one. Chapter twenty-one deals with teaching elders, pastors. Chapter twenty-four deals with ruling elders and deacons. And so it follows a paragraph that talks about the trials for ordination shall include an examination of his acquaintance with experimental religion, especially his personal character and family management. And then it cites 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And so this would be the next paragraph, really, I would say, adding uh, color and clarification to that examination. And it says, in the examination of a candidate's personal character. The presbytery shall give specific attention to potential notorious concerns, such as, but not limited to, relational sins, sexual immorality, including homosexuality, child sexual abuse, fornication and pornography, addictions, abusive behavior, racism, and financial mismanagement. Careful attention must be given to his practical struggle against sinful actions, as well as to persistent sinful desires. The candidate must give clear testimony of reliance upon his union with Christ and the benefits thereof by the Holy Spirit, depending on the work of grace to make progress over sin, Psalm 103, 2 through 5, Romans 8, 29, and to bear fruit, Psalm 1, 3, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. While imperfection will remain, he must not be known by reputation or self-profession according to his remaining sinfulness but rather by the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. In order to maintain discretion and protect the honor of the pastoral office, presbyteries are encouraged to appoint a committee to conduct detailed examinations of these matters and to give prayerful support to the candidates. So, you know, just as a, as a way to illustrate for, for our folks, you know, the, the evidence that there is a, uh, a very clear divide, Fred, in our denomination is that some of us hear what you just read and say, thank God, you know, that's the kind of accountability and standard that needs to be held for men that are going to hold office in Christ's beloved church. Others hear that and say, that's the beast that must be destroyed. <laughs> so that, that puts the you know, that, that, that illustrates well where we are. Now, Fred, some of the, the objections we're hearing for both of those. And, and again, the folks on the other side of the aisle are, are doing all that they can to pressure presbyteries to not approve uh, these two overtures. Um, one of the things we hear is that, well, the, the problem here with these, particularly 37, we're being told, is that the language is unclear. The language is unclear. Now, that's astonishing to me, Fred. What, what do you say to the person who says, well, you know, it's not helpful because the language isn't clear? I think, first of all, I would say the obvious that the language is clear. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, you, that's where, you know, another thing that gives people trouble is the parentheticals about including or such as yeah. that language is there to help give clarification. Exactly. I, mean, uh, I sort of in my previous life was a, a corporate attorney and you would put things like that down into contracts so that you wouldn't be misconstrued. Right. And so the other thing is, is that especially 37 does not require crystal clear language. It's not a comprehensive list. It's right. not as if, for example, if you want to be president of the United States, 
you must be over 35 years of age. Yeah. If you're 34, you're disqualified, mm-hmm. right? You must be a natural born citizen. Yeah. It is, is a bright line. 37 is just telling courts the areas right. that they should examine in. So, for example, if someone says, well, what if there's a an area of sexual immorality that isn't homosexuality or child sex abuse or mm-hmm. pornography? Right. The answer to that is examine them on it. Right. Go have at it. Exactly. You're not limited. And does that mean that you have to ask every single person about every single issue? You know, no, you don't need to spend five hours asking someone about you know, fornication, if they've answered it properly in 10 minutes, these are just areas of concern. And I think anyone who's listening now that's been in a church that has seen a church, I've served about 15 years on what I call our Presbytery's church trouble committee. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen a lot of appellate litigation at the SJC. And I will tell you, and I've made this point before, you know, ministers are not run out of town because of their interpretation of first John two or of Galatians three. It's because they've been abusive in their power in a church. You and yeah. I have both seen that all over the place. Yep. It's because there's me too type incidents, whether it's actual abuse or it's harassment, mm-hmm. or it's because he's caught in egregious sin or there's family life has fallen apart. And these things don't just affect the minister or just the elder or just the deacon. Right. They kill churches. Right. And so we owe it to our churches, to our lay people who aren't involved in these examination processes in the main to know that the man who is being ordained as a deacon or ordained as an elder or ordained as a pastor has been examined as to his character. Now I've made this point before I've said every single one of Paul's criteria in first Timothy three and Titus one, except one are character related. Now I was corrected last week. Harry reader told me it's actually two. And he's convinced me. So I'm correcting myself. (laughs) It's that a man needs to be apt to teach and he needs to manage his household well. Yeah. But everything else is character related. Yeah. And the problem is in our courts, I think we tend to worry about, especially as reformed believers, especially in the PCA, does this guy know his theology? Can he tell about TULIP? Can he defend infant baptism? And all of that's right. But we need to be asking men hard questions so that we can find out before he ruins his own life and a church, whether he should be in sacred office. Exactly. And, and you're so right in, in the fact that those two overtures, particularly uh, uh, 37, um, one of the things that's so helpful about it is the clarity of it and the fact that it gives so many good examples of the kinds of things we need you to examine these candidates on. Now, what's interesting is that, um, some of those who oppose this clearly are opposing this for some reasons that are related to their advocacy for the theology of, of revoice. I mean, we know it's connected. It's clearly connected. Um, uh, but, but obviously 37 makes it very clear as does 23, that we are not just talking here about sins related to unnatural desires, as Paul would put it. Uh, we, we, you know, those overtures name specific a variety and breadth of sins, all of which, yes, including homosexuality, but all of which um, undermine uh, the health of the church, destroy churches in some cases, and ruin the, 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 the reputation of the church and give Christ a black eye in the community of these churches where pastors have... Um, uh, um, either because of lack of accountability, uh, because of hidden sin, secret lifestyles, 
um, have done great damage. Now, we know that we can't fix everything in an examination process. However, a proper examination process which, with real specifics can go a long way in, in helping. And, and we trust those examination processes for God to use those things to help ferret out men that are not qualified for office. Now, Fred, uh, and, and, and we're kind of getting into this already. Again, one of the um, uh, uh, objections is, well, you know, tw- 23 and 37 are, are just not necessary. We have everything we need um, in our current BCO and um, in our current um, uh, um, confessional language. This adds language and that kind of thing. That, that's not a part of our confession. We, you know, the, the, the BCO already gives us everything we need. Um, how do you answer that objection? I think there's a there's a fundamental difference in what the BCO tries to accomplish as opposed to what our confession tries to accomplish. Mm-hmm. The BCO is a practical guideline to implementing the theology and procedures of our constitution, the, mm-hmm. the confession and the catechisms. And so there's a balancing act. You know, I think most men are glad that the BCO is not 2000 pages long. Yes. So we so we can't have every level of detail that we might want. It's not a a federal register. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a you know Texas statutes. Right. But at the same time, we need some level of clarity about how to apply these principles. And I think additional language is helpful. I'm not sure, for example, whether there is anything radically different in 23 or 37 than what's already in our book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's extremely helpful. Um, for men who are using the book and uh, governing and examining to have this additional information to help them in their process. Because I got to tell you, Todd, if anybody thinks that the BCO is completely clear and nobody has any questions on them, (laughs) that I'm going to start routing the five to 10 calls a week I get from across the PCA on everything ranging from congregational meetings to calls to mission churches to discipline to them. Right. Because the BCO is just not crystal clear because again, it's not very long. One of my projects in a future time is to write an updated version of Morton Smith's commentary on the BCO to add more language. And I think that's some of what 23 and 37 do. They take what's our current milieu and give practical advice. So one of the objections that's come out is we don't need this language because it talks, it uses identity language, right? It uses self-referential language, which is new. Now, I, I think you could solve all of the PCA's problems simply by buying every PCA member a copy of Carl's book, The, <laughs> the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah, yeah. And I say that because one of the things that Carl says in his book, I'm reading through it with my staff, is how this identity language is everywhere in our society. Right. You don't need to be a PhD student. You don't need yep. to be you know, an academic, you don't need to be a politician to be thinking in these terms. It's instinctual now. It's instinctual now. It's, it's, it's the water we swim in. And so making it clear now, I would argue that that language actually helps to limit and not be overly broad. So if we were not to have that language, some have said that 23 is, is no good because if anyone experiences uh, same-sex attraction, or yeah. if anyone experiences sin or confesses that they struggle with a sin, that they're disqualified. But that's right. not what this says. Right. It says they have to identify such with it that it uh, speaks against or vitiates or militates against their identity in Christ. And I've yeah. given this example. I did a video with uh, Dr. Dominic Aquila in which I've said, you know, I'm Italian, 
And one of our natural resources is to be loud. You heard that at General Assembly. <laughs> right. And to get upset. Yeah. And, you know, I struggle with that. When I go to the DMV and I have to wait in line and they tell me I'm in the wrong line and I got to wait in another line, <laughs> I have to restrain myself from yelling at the yeah. poor clerk. Now, I, I, I like to think that in the main, the Holy Spirit is working on my sins. So I'm restrained. But I don't identify with that. I don't right. walk around and excuse that by saying, right. look, I'm Italian. I'm allowed to pop off at people if I want. You know, anger, that doesn't really matter. That's not that big of a sin. I'll always be angry. Right. No. And so this idea of identity is a limiting factor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's crucially important here that's being missed. It's somehow being uh, put about as, as, as if this will open wide the floodgates, that it will disbar everyone from office and that it will stop people from joining PCA churches and no one who yeah. people are going to have to lie about struggles with sin, none of which is true. Right. Right. Yeah. I, that was one of the curious objections I heard. And I, and I remember hearing that one as well. If we do, these people are going to have to lie about their sin. And I thought, um, well, we probably don't want that person as an officer. <laughs> anyway, I just, it was such an odd objection. And the other thing people need to understand is that, you know, these documents um, that mean a lot to us because we, we really believe that, for instance, the book of church order is a way that is a means that, that God uses to help govern the church in, a, in an orderly and, and Christ glorifying way. And, you know, we, we make amendments to it precisely because we understand that as time moves on, uh, there are going to be fresh challenges presented to us that a previous generation never anticipated. Um, you know, I've talked to enough of the men who were at the founding of the PCA, their children, people that were members of their churches, people who were discipled by those men. And I hear, I've heard, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard over the last four years since the first revoice conference in 2018, how if those men in 1973 in Birmingham, if, if anyone had stood up and said, you know what, in 2018, there's going to be this conference called revoice that seeks to normalize the language of gay Christianity and that sort of thing. And it's going to really, it's going to be held at a PCA church and that theology is that first of all, they wouldn't have believed you. They would have been shocked, but had you been able to convince them that was going to happen, all of this would have been in the book of church order from day one. Um, That's right. That's right. And I think if, if Carl were here, he would make fun of both you and myself with the <laughs> typical quip that our book of church orders in a three ring binder. That's right. As opposed to the OPC book, which is yeah. bound. Yeah. I'm actually glad it's in a three ring binder. Indeed. You know, as someone who pleads guilty that I think the only PCA man who's authored more amendments to the book than me is our friend, Howie Donahoe. <laughs> and, and I think amendments to the book are helpful because yep. they clarify and bring unity. Exactly. I think that one of the one of the most persuasive arguments about these two amendments is that they will bring unity to the PC. This is not an issue that's going to go away because it's in our culture. And we've dealt with this in several different ways. So, for example, the PCA has had uh, had a long series of conflict and roiling discussions about subscription, for example. We had BCO amendments that codified what we, we now call good faith subscription. When that was passed, we stopped arguing about it and we moved on and did ministry. Then we had all kinds of arguments about how women should be involved in ministry. We had a committee that was formed. It was highly contested. We formed the committee. They produced a report. We stopped arguing about it. If we reject these amendments, I just want to say to the folks who are opposed to it, you're going to see five or 10 more overtures next year and 15 the year after that. This is not going away. I think these uh, amendments are clear. They're charitable, yes. they're helpful, 
And if we can pass these, I think in large measure, we can deal with this issue of the culture that is manifesting itself in our denomination. I don't know, again, that I've ever seen a series of controverted overtures that passed with such large margins. I mean, I gave the, I gave the committee's report on Overture 37. There was an actual minority report given, and we still got two-thirds vote for this. And, and, you know, it's ironic here. I wonder about the opposition here, Todd, because the main opposition to Overture 37 was to replace 37 with the language in 23 that they didn't like in 23. <laughs> right. And so I, I didn't understand that. And I, I asked the gentleman who's, who's a good man and a brother, you know, why, what's the thought process here? You don't like the language in, in 23 in this part of the book. It's problematic. It's unclear. Then why do you want to put it in this other part of the book? Right. And so I'm all for unity here. And, and I, I just want to say to everyone that this issue is of great concern, not just to wonky guys like me, not just to active ministers in the PCA like you. I've got widows, teens, college students asking me, maybe not about the particulars of this language, but about these issues every right. day. It's Absolutely. everywhere. Yep, absolutely. And and I just want to reemphasize uh, to our listeners what, what Fred has said here. There is, you know, the, the, the truth divides, the truth separates, but the truth also unifies. And um, those denominations like the PCA that have remained evangelical, that is committed to the gospel, are evidence that truth does unify. And, and the issues that Overtures 23 and 37 address are very clear issues that people committed to the gospel can and should uh, be unified on. And I'm convinced uh, that passage of these overtures will work towards our unity as a denomination. But also, again, as Fred mentioned, these are the kinds of sins that are harming not just our churches, but churches all over the world that harm the witness of Christ in their communities, that ruin the reputations of churches. And I would just encourage you listeners to, to, to rewind, go back to the part where, where Fred wrote, read those overtures and ask yourself the question, do you want candidates for office, um, deacon and elders? Um, men who are going to be pastors and the spiritual shepherds and servants of the church. Do you want those men to be examined well under the criteria that are named in those two overtures? Um, I can't imagine that you don't want that. Um, uh, sessions and, and, and presbytery should be really challenging and looking into and examining the character of, of potential and current um, office holders for the glory of Christ in his church and for the good and the blessing of God's people. And so that's why um, we are encouraging uh, presbyteries um, to pass these um, overtures so that um, this summer in Birmingham, we can vote and amend the BCO and bring greater clarity and greater, what we believe, greater blessing to the church by making the standards for office bearers clearer. Um, and we believe that that'll be a blessing to the church. And so be praying towards that end, pray for your presbyteries, pray for your sessions and your pastors. If you're a lay person, ask them about it. Um, ask them where they, where they are on these issues. Um, uh, I, I'm an open book to the church I serve in terms of how, how I vote 
um, at GA. Um, I make it very, very clear. And I think we as pastors owe that to the churches we serve. And I'm not asking you to, to be mean or to cause trouble at your church, but if you're a member of the church, um, uh, go to your elders, treat them with respect um, as, as the Bible commands, but, but ask them, how, you know, where are you on, on these overtures and, and ask them to talk to you about it and explain it. If they have a different view than yours, ask them to, to explain that to you. And you can do that respectfully and, and honor them. And I know as your pastor, they'll want to talk to you about that and they'll be happy to talk to you about that. So, but pray for us, pray for the, 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 the presbytery. Several have already voted. Many more are going to be voting um, around about November when a lot of Presbyterians are, are gathering again. So November is going to be a big month um, on this and, uh, and we'll have more to report back for you then. Fred, thanks for taking the time. Uh, blessings in Houston. Now, which, which um, season of violent weather is Houston moving into now? It's the fall. So we've, we've still got time for hurricane, right? Yeah. So we had, uh, we had good weather last week. We had mm-hmm. a high pressure system in which it was a little bit cooler and gorgeous. Yeah. This week is the rainy season. It's going to okay. rain every single day. So you well, know, there you know go. what that looks like. Oh, I do. Hopefully I do. Hopefully no Absolutely. flooding. Yeah. Hopefully no flooding. And, uh, you know, it, it's October, but you could still have a late, uh, a hurricane and, uh, then it'll be uh, mild for a little bit. And then we'll, you, you know, you'll gear up for the violent thunderstorms and tornadoes. So, right. uh, th- that's life in Houston, Texas folks, but go because they have some of the best food in the country and they have great churches like Christ church, uh, PCA and Katie. If you're anywhere, um, on that side of the Houston metropolitan, uh, area, go by and, uh, say hi to, uh, to Fred Greco and and the good folks at Christ Presbyterian. And uh, until we see you next time, please go and visit our our website, mortificationofspin.org. If you'd like to make a a donation uh, to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that then. Um, But until we talk to you next time, thanks for joining us today. Houston, Houston means that I'm one day closer to you. Oh, honey. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Uh, This is Houston. Uh, Say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Hi, this is Eric from Reformation Sites. Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever set foot in the door? So how is your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new website for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected to the church and to one another. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as sermon manager, online bulletins, courses, events, and notifications. It also integrates with other popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving, with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of October, we're celebrating Reformation Day by offering 25% off the website setup fee. 
Use coupon code REFDAY21 to redeem this offer when you go to ReformationSites.com to get started. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern Reformation.